Take your Bibles now and turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. And the words to which I would call your attention this morning are found in verses 46 through 50 of the 12th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Let's give attention to it now. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Would you please be seated? Let's pray and ask for the Lord's illumination now. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you as beggars who are seeking bread, asking that you would graciously impart to us the food that nourishes the soul. And that food, O Lord, is Christ Himself. Would you remind us to trust in Him and help us, O Father, to understand and obey. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. What are some of the words that you might use to describe the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Biblically, sometimes it's called, uh, we find that it's called the body of Christ. That Jesus Himself is the head and we are connected to Him by the Holy Spirit so that in places like Ephesians chapter 1, we're described as seated with Him in the heavenly places. Where He is, we now are because of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our head and we're the body and His life just as your body, life is flowing through it. Spiritually, we, are, we have the life of Christ flowing in us as his body. Um, we're also called the bride of Christ, signifying our relation to him as our covenant head. Just a moment ago, we, we confessed that immediately after Adam's fall, God established a new covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. He has become our covenant head. We are under the covenant of grace. And in our passage today, we learn of another precious term for the church. You know what it is? Family. The church is a family. The body of Christ, the bride of Christ, and the family of Christ. Those who are united to Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit, think about this, Jesus is pleased to call mother and brothers and sisters. When you think of the church uh, as a family, it begins to produce, I think, a new sympathy for this body within your heart, for all of the members who are here. And it should also generate a new and a sweet love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Our focus on Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees and crowds that has gone on up to this point, it's interrupted that Matthew shows us in verse 46. It's interrupted at the end of chapter 12 by the arrival and seeming impatience of Mary and Jesus' 
brothers. So Mary and some of Jesus' half-siblings appeared at this location where he is preaching to the crowds, asking to speak to Jesus. Christ used this opportunity to teach us an important lesson about his view of those who follow him. His view of those who follow him. He shows us that those who receive him by faith, who listen to him and learn from him, enjoy an intimate fellowship with him and are considered by Jesus to be his true family. So we'll see this in in three points, and you've got it in your bulletin. I'm going to reverse the, as I was thinking about it, I thought, well, the, the last point actually should be the first one. So we're going to talk about the admission of Jesus' family. We're going to talk about the activity of Jesus' family, and then the position of his family. Let's look first of all at the admission of his family. Um, And what we notice is that Jesus' true family is received by him through faith. That's kind of the major point that we come away with, is that we're received by, by faith. Jesus' instruction to the crowds, as we said, it was, it was interrupted, as it were, mid-sentence. You can maybe picture this scene of these crowds, and there is Jesus preaching to them. And all of a sudden, somebody runs in from the outside and says, Jesus, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside, and they are seeking to speak with you. Your mom's got a word for you. Now, first of all, I think that we ought to acknowledge here that Jesus did not deny that these are his mother and his brothers. So on the one hand, this is a verse that we might use to show that Joseph and Mary had other children after Jesus was born. And you think, well, that's just a throwaway. I mean, who cares about something like that? Of course, Mary and Joseph had other children after Jesus. Well, Roman Catholicism insists that Mary never had other children and continues in a state of perpetual virginity. As most of its doctrines, however, this too is dispelled by doing one simple thing, reading the Bible. Here, Mary appeared with what? Jesus' brothers. His half-siblings. So truly, these were the half-brothers since Jesus had no earthly father, did He? Nonetheless, it shows us that Joseph and Mary consummated their marriage after the birth of Christ. Mary is not a perpetual virgin. It's unfortunate that we even have to point this out, but as men take the time to invent ridiculous doctrines, we have to take the time to refute them. Jesus, upon this interruption, took the opportunity to teach a very important lesson about our relationship to Him. In verse 50, notice what we find at the very end of our passage. In verse 50, For whoever does the will of My Father in heaven is My brother and sister and mother. Jesus teaches us something about His own family ties. He doesn't deny that He does have a natural family, as it were, Mary and His half-brothers. But He says something important. Here is my spiritual family. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister 
and mother. Well, the immediate question I think for us is, well, what is the will of the Father? If I want to to be in the family of Christ, I need to pay attention to this verse because to be in the family of Christ means to do the will of the Father. Well, what is the will of the Father? You might be tempted to say, obey Him. It is the will of the Father for you to obey Him. Keep His commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And do the second commandment as well. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the will of the Father. And that is God's will for you. But but listen, ever since the fall, perfect obedience is not obtainable by any human being. It's not. You cannot keep the will of the Father in that regard. And so that's why in John's Gospel we find Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He sent. So the emphasis here is not on obedience as the practice of doing the law. That is important, and we don't want to de-emphasize that. But here, Jesus is pointing you to the fact that you must do the will of the Father, and God's will for you is to believe in Him whom He has sent. You see, God's will for you is to embrace His Son by faith. That's the will of the Father. That's what makes you a partaker of the family of God. That is the DNA of the believer, of the Christian family. It is faith in Christ. Now, in Matthew's Gospel, he places a particular emphasis upon the kingship of Jesus Christ. That Christ is a king. He came proclaiming the the kingdom. He taught His disciples to preach the Gospel of the kingdom. So the faith that God demands of us is to embrace Christ as a king. You embrace Jesus as the one who has subdued you to himself. You embrace Jesus as the one who rules over you and who defends you. And you embrace Christ as the one who is subduing all of his enemies. Although Mary and the brothers enjoyed a familial relation to Christ, you think maybe all of those years that they had intimate conversations with him, even from a, as a young boy, revealing to them things that they'd never considered. Jesus teaches us that it is faith, the faith relation that gives us true intimacy with Him. As John Calvin comments, when he says that they do the will of the Father, he does not mean that they fulfill in a, in a perfect manner the whole righteousness of the law. For in that sense, the name brother, which is here given by Him to His disciples, would not apply to any man. Because none of us can keep the law perfectly. But His design is to bestow the highest commendation on faith, which is the source and origin of holy obedience, and at the same time covers the defects and sins of the flesh that they may not be imputed. God's will for you is to believe in His Son. So John later wrote, and this is His commandment, 
that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. That's 1 John 3. Faith moves you from outside of Christ to abiding in Christ. This takes us all the way back to his words in Matthew 11. Remember there he said, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Jesus calls you now to believe upon him and receiving him as a king and a savior to know the blessing of being in his family. Well, not only does this passage show us um, that we are admitted into intimate fellowship with Jesus through faith. It also shows us the activity of those who receive us him by faith. No, go back to the text with me. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. Um, While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. We find that there are two types of people here, the outsiders and the insiders, and the insiders are doing what? Well, he's speaking, and they are listening. I think every family probably has traditions. One of the traditions of of my family was every summer we would rent a beach house, and 25 to 30 people would pack inside of it, and we would enjoy, in quotation marks, six days of being together at the beach. We would fish and swim and snorkel, and I have fond memories, fond memories of all the fights that we had in that summer vacation. It was a joyful time. And you have family traditions as well, things that you have pictures of, because I see them on Facebook each and every day. Traditions that you are establishing, traditions that sort of define you. What is the tradition of the family of Christ? What is our family tradition? Put simply, our tradition is worshiping our king by sitting at his feet and listening to him. His words give us life. We cannot emphasize faith without emphasizing listening, can we? After all, Romans 10 teaches us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Uh, About three weeks ago, my pastor's note uh, emphasized listening as an important activity in Christian worship. If you read the book of Proverbs, the first chapters emphasize listening as an activity that children should embrace. How do you identify a wise son? Well, he listens. I almost titled my sermon. I asked Cassandra, what if if I titled this... um, you can identify a Christian by his big ears. She advised against that. It probably was wise. In Proverbs 5, we read, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. He's telling, lean in. Lean in, boy, while I talk about this. That you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. In Matthew 13, uh, Matthew is setting us up for the next chapter. In Matthew 13, the parables of the kingdom of Jesus Christ teach us the importance of listening. 
And you remember, as Jesus has already pronounced the woes upon the cities that he's gone through, he has taught, he's performed miracles, and yet what didn't happen? Nobody repented. Nobody listened to the gospel of the kingdom. And so here in this scene in Matthew's gospel, where do we find his true family? What are they doing? What are the disciples doing? They're sitting at his feet, listening to his words. They follow Jesus wherever he goes so that they may learn from him. And at one point in Jesus' ministry, this is in John chapter 6 again, there's this moment where it says that, and many of his disciples turned back and they didn't follow him again. And it's almost as though it's, there's this moment where this sympathy is lifted in your heart because Jesus turns to his disciples and he's not despairing whatsoever, but he turns to his disciples and he says, are you going to stop following me also? Are are you going to go home? His exact words are, do you want to go away as well? And you remember what Simon Peter answered? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You are, you are the fountain of life and we are the sponges and everything that you speak, we are soaking it up. You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to, fall, to, to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter shows that the believers, that he shows the believers love for listening to the Savior. That's the difference. On the one hand, you've got the outsiders who are, who are urgently seeking to speak with Him and the insiders who are desperately seeking to listen. How do I faithfully listen to Jesus? I think that's a question for us at this moment. How do I listen to Him? What do I do? Do I, do I go outside? Do I commune with nature? Do I ask the Lord to send me a, a word? And no, it's much simpler than that. You see, God wants you to know His will. And so He has made great effort to preserve His Word to you over thousands of years through various different authors. He has set them down for you in 66 books, preserving them even through the dark ages, even through the the Middle Ages, when, when few people knew how to read and write. His Word endured without error and infallibly. So quite simply, first and foremost, to listen to Jesus, be faithful in worship. Be faithful in worship. Since the dawn of time, God appointed the Sabbath day as a day for His people to pause from their worldly cares and concerns and to come and sit at His feet and to learn from Him. As a day to sit at His feet and listen. Second. Be faithful to open your Bible and study. Maybe um, you're not as bad at this as I can be sometimes, but I will open my Bible and I'm in Leviticus chapter 19 uh, yesterday morning and you sort of get through and you, you check the mark and you, you, you say, well, what did I learn from that chapter? Why in the world did God say to have that you can't have your cattle together. Don't sow two types of seed together. Don't have uh, cotton and, and wool. Don't blend those together. You say, I'll think about that some other time. You're not listening. 
Read with a pen in your hand. Read prayerfully with the intention of understanding and getting up from your seat and applying what you've learned, either in your prayer life and exalting the Lord Jesus Christ and say, thank you for teaching me who you are, or applying it to your neighbor and, and serving him. When you read, remember that God has given you the Scriptures for one primary purpose. You know what it is? So that you can know him. When you properly grow in the knowledge of Scripture, you grow in the knowledge of God and His ways. In other words, you know what? When you read the Bible, you're learning to trust God more. We, we read Deuteronomy 10 this morning, and we see that, that the first tablets were broken and God made new tablets. And what do we learn? God's gracious. He doesn't just say that He is long-suffering with His people. He shows it to them. He doesn't just say that He's a covenant-keeping God. He he shows it to them in real-life examples. And so then you you go away from that and you say, well, let me look at my life. How has God shown Himself faithful in my life? That He's a covenant-keeping God. Well, I see my grandparents and my parents and, and I and now my children walking with the Lord faithfully. You cannot grow in the Scriptures without growing in love to and trust in the Almighty God. can't. So, we see the, the admission of, of Jesus' family is, is by faith. Faith alone. And we see the activity of His family. What do they do? What's their tradition where they listen to their Savior? And then thirdly and, and finally, we see the position of Jesus' family. Where were Mary and the brothers? Well, they were standing outside, weren't they? Knocking, as it were, of the door. Waiting for Jesus to come out to them. And so as we draw one last point from Matthew's poignant picture, we have to notice the position of his family. And at this point, you will ask, well, which one? Which family are we talking about? Are we talking about the natural family? Or are we talking about the supernatural family? Are we talking about Mary and his half-brothers? Or are we talking about the disciples? And the answer is yes. We're talking about both of them. Um, beginning in Genesis chapter 3 and the fall of Adam, the Scriptures emphasize the distinction between inside and outside. And immediately you're starting to pick up on this, aren't you? Because you're thinking, okay, I remember that God put Adam where? In the garden. And after sin came and he ate of the forbidden fruit, where did he wind up? Outside. God drove him out. And and Eve and, and their whole family. In fact, everybody who descended from them was born and grew up outside the garden. And then Cain killed his brother Abel, and what happened? Well, he was driven even further out. So this, this theme come, develops in Scripture of being inside and outside. In the wilderness, think about this. Israel camped around the tabernacle. They had, the, they had God's footstool right in the middle of their camp. And then they set up their camps right around, and they had their banners all set up, and there they were as God's army... But there was another layer. Do you, do you remember? 
Under certain circumstances, members of the camp were forced to dwell outside, as far from the tabernacle as they could possibly go. Meaning you can't join with the people of God. You can't offer the sacrifices. You can't know the promise of atoning forgiveness, uh, of the atoning sacrifice and God's forgiveness. You are away from the presence of God. In our passage, Mary and the brothers are outside. And this is not... To, to say to you that Mary wasn't redeemed, that she didn't realize the promise of God through Christ, that she wasn't forgiven. We find out in 1 Corinthians 15, in fact, that Jesus appeared to His brothers after His resurrection. But they are listening or looking for Jesus rather than inside listening to Him. And Matthew Henry in his commentary is always so helpful. He says, his mother and brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him when they should have been standing within, desiring to hear him. They needed the words of eternal life as well. On the other hand, those who come to Christ in faith and listen to him, yielding all honor to him, they are inside. Simply notice that when you come to Christ in this way, yielding to Him, believing in Him, listening to Him, He is pleased to call you family. That's powerful. This is a precious biblical doctrine. And John Chapter 1, verses 12 to 13, you know it. We read, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. No longer am I Adam's child. I am God's child. John goes on, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God adopts every believer as a son. Now, you think of that and you say, what, what wonderful affection. Every orphan who comes to Christ has a true heavenly Father. What a comfort. And it is a comfort. Because when we pray to Him, we're praying, as Jesus commanded us, our Father. But it also means that you have a legal right to the inheritance that Christ, the perfect Son, earned. When you become a son, when you become part of the family of God, you now have a legal right to an inheritance. As Peter states, blessed by the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And here he says this, to an inheritance 
that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Maybe, maybe some of you have been executors of a will. Um, maybe you've been in, in a family where the, the executor changes from week to week, and, and this week mom's happy with you and says, you're, you're the executor of the will, and next week mom's not happy with you and says, your brother's the executor of the will. That happens in some places, or you think, well, my, my family had an inheritance, but this particular individual got involved and squandered the whole thing, and now there's nothing left, there's nothing left for anybody. They were swindled out. But when you come into the family of Jesus Christ, remember, Jesus said that, that you can invest in heaven and the thief can't break in and steal it. The moth can't come in and eat it. The rust can't take it away. And also, there is an inheritance that is reserved for you through Jesus Christ. It's imperishable. No one can swindle it away. As a son... As an insider, most of all, it's not the affection, it's not the inheritance, it is that you are brought near to God, who is your blessedness forever. The one who sits on the throne and dispenses peace, who dispenses patience, who dispenses love, that one is your family member. And although you do not see Jesus through faith, you may enjoy enriching family fellowship with Him. Every time you go to Him and when Jesus stretched out His hand to the disciples and He labeled them His family, don't you think that they were encouraged? They, just a few chapters ago in Matthew chapter 10, remember He said, you're going to preach this Gospel and it's going to divide. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And you're going to preach the Gospel. And listen, you're going to find that, that a son is set against his father and a mother set against her her, her, uh, uh, her daughter, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. But you know what? In the family of Christ, you always find peace. You should be encouraged too. When you receive Christ by faith, yielding to Him as a king, He looks on you as a dear member of His family. I hope that washes over you. I hope that blows your socks off because he could, he could do nothing. He could wipe you out, cause you to go out of existence. He could make you eat steak and it tastes like sand and yet he gives you the good things of this life. Anything that he, he wills, he can do. But he wills to take you as his own child through Christ. Your cares and concerns are His cares and concerns. When He prays for you, the Lord Jesus Christ, He is mindful of your sinful weakness and your failings. 
And as you are mindful of how He thinks of you, listen, how much more effort should you make to reach out to Him as your brother? One other application we can make of this is that you and I will always enjoy deeper relationships with those who belong to Christ through faith than with those who don't. You will you should always have deeper, more meaningful relationships with those of the body of Christ than those who are, who are not. And that's because through Christ, we share a spiritual DNA. A relationship of the Holy Spirit. We understand what it means to be a new creation. But how little, sadly, do we sometimes avail ourselves of those relationships. Those who come to Christ by faith, who sit at His feet, gleaning His precious words of life, should rest in the confidence that Christ receives them as His family. You are the members of the family of God with the promise of an eternal inheritance reserved in heaven. We praise God that we have all of this and it is all by the work of His grace. Praise be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before You, so often we remember that it is a great privilege to call upon You um, in that way. You, you have appointed various names for Yourself. Elohim, Yahweh, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha. All of these names You've given to describe who You are so that we may understand Your nature and Your character. Great God, You've also chosen another name for Yourself so that Your people who are weak, spiritually struggling, might know You. And that name is Father. And we praise You, great Lord, that through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been reconciled. And we're not kept as outsiders. We're not sojourners in the kingdom of heaven. We are we're members. That's our home. When we think forward, when we think ahead to the consummation of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, that's a homecoming for us. We're thinking of, of coming into our land. Here, in, in, in this world, we are sojourners. We are, we are foreigners, as it were. That's how the Word describes us. But we are journeying to our home. Lord, would You fill our hearts with a longing for home where where Christ is, where we will know the fullness of Your blessing, where we will shed these sinful bodies, where our souls will be perfected in righteousness so that we may have deep and intimate, intimate relation with Christ and with all of our family, the body of Christ. Would You fill our hearts with longing and yearning as we sing, sing our hymns? These remind us that these are... These are these are our heart songs. They are, they are the songs of home. 
Fill us with love for you, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.